I hope that you believe that this morning. You can uh, take a seat. I, I trust that, that you understand the Lord's great love for you. But I want to ask a question. Because this is sort of a question that we can ponder as we, as we dig into God's Word. You can take your Bible and turn to 2 Peter. And here's a question for you. Do you find yourself on a daily basis feeling in your, in your walk just dry and parched? Do you find yourself living in a, in a kind of a state of mind that you remember what it was like when you came to know the Lord initially? And you were incredibly excited about that. But over time, over time, that excitement, that gratitude has, has begun to fade just a little bit. I want you to think about that question because I, I believe that that could be the condition of many of our hearts in this room today. And I want to talk to you about a subject called Mind the Gap. Mind the Gap. Now I realize after I shared this with a number of people near the end of the week, this phrase doesn't mean a whole lot to a lot of people, and I found that, that this phrase is more European than it is American. If you've had the opportunity to travel internationally, particularly in uh, Great Britain and uh, that part of the world, and you use trains, and uh, there's a platform where you step off of a platform and onto a train, there's a phrase that you will hear almost everywhere and see on signs. It says, mind the gap. And it's a warning, because as you step from the platform to the train, there's a gap between the two. And so that, that phrase uh, came into use back in the 1960s in the underground of, of uh, London, so that people would be aware that there's a little bit of danger there. Well, I want to recommend to you a book, and the name of the book is How People Change. And in the book, the authors, Paul Tripp and Tim Lane, spend a great deal of time um, describing how there's oftentimes a gap in our understanding of the gospel. And so I want us to mind the gap this morning, if you will. We, we don't use the phrase here in the States. We might say, watch your step, or as you're exiting the train, beware of the doors, and watch your step as you leave. But mind the gap is something that I hope sinks into your mind and you leave today understanding that there's possible that I can be living a life where there's a gap in my understanding between uh, of, of what, I, what I am and how it is that I live. So the question is, what is the gap? Well, the gap is this. If I were to go around the room and we were to talk about it just for a little while and I might say to you, um, somebody please tell me what the gospel is. Somebody tell me the gospel. Many of you and most of you might say, well, the gospel says that Jesus died for my sins so that I can go to heaven when I die. Right? And that is the gospel. Absolutely. Jesus died for our sins so that by faith in him, I might be with him forever in heaven when I die. And just by that definition of the gospel, you have explained the gap. Because there's a whole lot of time most often between the time that we trust Jesus for salvation and the day that we go to be with Him 
whether He comes and takes us to be with Him while we're alive, the rapture occurs, or whether we die and go to be in His presence, often there's a great deal of time between first coming to Christ and then going to be with Him forever. So oftentimes, there's a gap in our understanding that there's a great deal of life that has to be lived between the day that we come to Jesus and the day that we die. And if we go through life seeing life through a a distorted view of what Jesus has done and made available to us, then we will be living with a gap in our understanding. And it can lead us to be dry and parched in our spiritual life. It can lead us to be no, uh, there, there be no evidence of joy. It can lead us to be all, uh, constantly just thinking about me and my needs. And if this were different in my life, then maybe I would be different. Or if this circumstance would be different, then maybe I would be different. Or if I just had this level of, of income, then things would be different. And all the while, we're looking for something that will fill a gap in our understanding. And we have to understand that the thing that will fill the gap in our understanding of the gospel is the full gospel itself. And so the gap comes because sometimes we have poor vision about understanding what the gospel is. There was an article recently, uh, we, just, we read it, uh, we were on vacation a couple of weeks ago, and the article came out, it happened in, uh, in England, and uh, there was a lady, she went in to have cataract surgery, you may have heard of this lady, and when they were prepping her for the surgery and doing all the procedures necessary to, to deal with her eye condition, they discovered that she had two masses in her eye. And the masses were contact lenses that she had left in her eyes over 35 years of wearing monthly disposable contact lenses in one place. Now, all of you who are raised eyebrows, you're wearing contacts perhaps, and you understand that when you forget a contact lens in your eye, it's a big deal. And so, but she had 17 lenses in one place in her eye, and in another place in her eye, she had 10 contact lenses. And the doctors had to remove this this, uh, these two masses so that they could then let her heal so that they could then um, operate on her eyes. I think the situation really arose because of just poor care. Uh, the lady said, when I couldn't find one of the lenses, and it was her right eye, when she said, this right eye, she said, when I couldn't find one of the lenses in my eye, I just thought that it had dropped out or I had misplaced it. All the while, it was getting stuck up under her lid in her eye and impacting her, her vision. I, I think the same can be true when we um, lose sight of what it is that we have been given. Uh, because sometimes we suffer, we can suffer, this leads to the gap in our understanding, we can suffer from what I would say is mistaken identity. Sometimes we mistakenly understand, mistakenly understand who it is that we are in Jesus. We mistakenly understand who we are and what He has done for us and what He has made available to us. Several years ago, uh, Brandy and I had, we'd bought a home. It was our first house. We were so happy to be in our first house, and we were in the house just for a short time. It was a very tense time in our relationship because it was her first house, and nine months later, I told her we were moving from our first house. And yes, so all the ladies in the house said, oh, no. And, uh, I, and, and all the guys said, oh, my. But when we went to, we, 
by God's grace, we were able to sell the house, and we, we sold the house after the two-year time, so we didn't have to suffer from the capital gains issues. But, but when we went to the closing for the sale so that the new buyers would, would be purchasing our house, when we went into the attorney's office, I had to, uh, we're sitting around the table, and the, um, the closing agent was there, but then all of a sudden, the attorney came into the room, and, um, and the attorney said, where is he? And they pointed to me and said, there he is. And I said, uh-oh, what's going on? Well, there was a gentleman in the area where we lived that had a similar name as mine. And he had done some shady things um, with, with regard to business, and he had been um, sued by a number of people for, for um, um, construction things that he said he was going to do that he didn't do. He he uh, misappropriated funds and so forth. And so I was mistakenly identified as this gentleman. And I said, that's not me. And I had to sign an affidavit certifying that, in fact, I was James Gibson and I was not Jamie Gibson. Right? You see how close it could have been mistaken for, for being him? Well, the same can be true in our understanding of what it is that we have received. We have a mistaken identity sometimes that is a, is a shortened or a stifled understanding of the gospel. So in first, or second Peter chapter 1, um, Peter spends some time helping us understand who it is that we are so that we don't have this uh, mistaken identity. So back in verse 1 in chapter 2, and let me tell you first that, that like like Paul, when we were a couple of weeks ago studying the book of Galatians, Paul was writing to confront an error in teaching that the people had received. So is Peter doing the same thing. Um, he's writing to remind the people that received the letter um, of, of who they are in Christ so that they might understand that when they heard false teaching that they would be able to recognize that and, and uh, run from that false teaching. So verse 1, uh, Peter uh, really introduces who the tells us who the letter is to. It says, those who, obtained, who have attained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of, of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So right off the bat, Peter is saying that the people who are receiving this, this is written to people who have, who have received a, a faith, and it's, it's, not, it's the same kind of faith that the apostles had. So the apostles were teaching people how to live out their faith, and, and Peter is writing to remind them that, hey, you, you don't need something more. You don't need uh, to, to, to get something addition, in addition to what it is you've received already. Your faith is the same as our faith. That's what he's writing to them to help them to understand. So he says, the, your faith is the same. And then verse 2, he says, that may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And then verse 3, he identifies several things uh, that are ours, that are resources that we have received when we believe. Things that become ours or things that have been given to us or made available to us. The first in verse 3 is divine power. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So the first thing that we have that's available to us or that has acted on our behalf is divine power. We have this divine power that has worked for our salvation. We didn't do anything to earn our salvation. 
God absolutely and 100% acted on our behalf in Jesus so that when we repent of our sin and trust Him, then we are forgiven. So first of all, there's this, this idea of divine power that's granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. A couple of things there. Here's where uh, also the, a gap in our understanding of the gospel can develop. First of all, Peter says that we have received all things pertaining to life. And we could very, very easily say, absolutely, we have, we have been given everything that we need for eternal life. But Peter adds something to this, and he adds to not only life, but godliness. So he has in his view, and helping us to get in our view, the understanding that, one, we've been called to eternal life, absolutely. We're set free from our sin, and one day we're going to be in heaven with Jesus. But in the meantime, Peter is helping us understand that we have received all that we need, all that we need to be godly in this world where we're living until such time that Jesus calls us home. All that we received is ours All that we need is received by us by faith. Uh, John MacArthur, pastor in California, um, made this kind of uh, illustration to help us understand it. He says that when a baby is born, uh, a human baby is born, the baby has all of the parts needed to become an adult or to be an adult. So their legs are there, they grow and they get stronger. Um, Their arms, hands, feet, toes, all of that is there. He likened it to a a tadpole. A tadpole is born. A tadpole is born with not all the parts needed to be an adult. You know that a tadpole passes through this um, stage where he grows legs and he grows um, uh, toes and all of that and his tail disappears. So uh, different from that, we have everything as a human that we need to be an adult. Uh, So it is with people born in the faith. We have everything available to us. The difference is that we don't make use of what it is that we have been given because we mistakenly uh, misunderstand that our identity is in other things other than Jesus. So we can spend our time, spend our days, spend our energy looking for significance and trying, trying, trying to be good, to do good, to earn favor, to find my identity in this or that. And all the while, Peter is trying to help us understand that all that you received comes to you in Jesus, and he is all that you need. So two things. One is he has uh, given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, and through the knowledge of him who called us to his glory and excellence. So, so two things, there are two thoughts that are parallel. First of all, life and glory. These things are, are internal. The second two things that he gives us paralleled are godliness and excellence, or, or moral excellence, or, or virtue. So these things are external. So we have all that we need. Uh, Peter is saying to us that we have all that we need so that we might be all that Jesus intends for us to be. We have everything necessary to grow and become a fruitful uh, disciple of Jesus. We don't have to be mistaken about our identity. We have received all that we need. 
But another way that the gospel, the gospel um, this gap in the gospel manifests itself is not only in our mistaken identity, but it's in misunderstanding that faith is as much about the journey as it is about the destination. Faith takes us to heaven. That's what Peter says in verse 1. That it's our faith that saves us. And it's our faith that guarantees that we're going to heaven. But in the meantime, there's a whole lot of life to live. And so we have to understand that faith is not just about the destination, but it's also about the journey. Several years ago, my family and I took off and drove across the country. And uh, there was a place we were going, and um, if we had just had our minds only on the place that we were going, we probably wouldn't have gotten to where we were headed. There was a whole lot of trip between the time that we departed and the time that we arrived. And so when people say, hey, tell us about your cross-country camping trip, first of all, I say, we're not crazy. We really had a good time. And I don't just say to, like if Dick were to ask me, I wouldn't just say, Dick, we arrived in Visalia, California on a Tuesday. Big deal, right? But when I tell, that's not what I major on when I'm talking to Dick about my trip. I talk about the fact that we got to Gainesville, uh, Gainesville, Florida, and realized that I'd forgotten my wallet at home. Had our neighbor overnight our wallet, and, and all the while wondering if my wallet's going to make it to the place that we're going. And it wasn't a big deal until I got stopped by a police officer in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and he said, may I see your license? And I said, I don't have one. I, I talk about getting to uh, Louisiana, and we go into the Bass Pro, and we target shoot. They have a target shooting game, and uh, Daddy showed all of his family how to be a great target shooter. I talk about getting to Hawkins, Texas, and calling a friend and say, hey, if you don't hear from us in the morning, it's because we don't exist anymore. They've taken us. I, I talk about all of these things because it was about the journey. That was the point. It was the journey. It was enjoying the journey to get to where we're going. So it is with our faith. It's as much about the journey as it is the destination. And so, with an understanding of our identity, then we have to understand the journey that we're on. And so verse 4 begins, really, Peter unpacking this. He says, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So pause right there. We could spend the rest of our time just talking about all of the wonderful things that, that God's word promises us to those, promises to those who are his. We could maybe focus just on John 3.16 that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We could also maybe talk about John 10.10 that says, I have come that you might have life, but not just life, but to have life abundant. That's life in the here and now. It's full life, not lacking anything. We could talk about all of the great promises that are, are ours in the Scriptures. But he says that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So on this journey... 
Peter's helping us understand there's not more that you need to understand or know. There's not more that you need to receive. By faith in Jesus, you've received everything that you need to live out your faith. The point is we have to appropriate and use what is available to us. So he says that we have great and promises, uh, precious promises so that we're partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world for, uh, because of sinful desire. So that's what God has done for us. Now verse 5, for this very reason, and here's where we get to the meat of the journey that we're on. Verse 5 says, for this reason, or because you have been, you've received all of these things, because you have been delivered from your sin, then you need to do these things. So verse 5 says, for this reason, make every effort or be diligent to supplement your faith or add to your faith. And when we read and people ask the question, you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. How is it that we add to our faith? I, I thought it is that by faith, by grace we're saved through faith. I, I thought that faith alone was, in Christ alone, is how it is that we are saved. And, and that is absolutely the truth. But the picture that we get in the following verses from 5 down through uh, verse 7 is that of a, it's like a chorus with all the parts of a chorus that come together that make a beautiful noise. And Paul is saying, or Peter is saying, to your faith, to the fact that you have this identity in Christ, to that, then add several things or supplement your faith. So we we go from what we've received from Jesus. We go from our position, and now he unpacks for us our responsibility as believers. So he says, first of all, add to your faith, uh, this, or make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. We think of virtue. We, we think about uh, the character of God being performed are uh, formed in us. We think about maybe practical wisdom of doing the things that, are, uh, that believers do. And we could go to some place like James chapter 1 where James says to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. And he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, perseveres, being no uh, hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, and he will be blessed in his doing. And so he says, add to your faith virtue, and then add to virtue knowledge. Knowledge. It's not just a bunch of uh, information that we get. It's not just a bunch of verses that we can quote, but it's spiritual knowledge. It, it comes from a principle like we find in Joshua 1.8 that says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you're careful to do all that it is written in it, and then you will be prosperous and have success. So it's practical knowledge. It's taking God's Word and it's letting it sink deeply into us so that we can then live out what it says. Uh, Bill Bennett, who was 
the founder, uh, a professor, first of all, at Southeastern, former pastor, but founder of Mentoring Men for the Master, uh, said that one of, the, one of the ten most important things that men can do to be godly men is to internalize the Scriptures. It's to know it in our minds. It's to, to store it in our hearts so that we might sow it in the world. I think that's something like what Dr. Bennett uh, used to say. But we, it is spiritual understanding about who it is that we are. It's practical. It's living out what it is that we are. It's being who we've been declared to be. And then add to our knowledge self-control. Self-control is, is how it is that we, we protect ourselves. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for from it flows the issues of life. In another place, the Proverbs tell us that a, a man without self-control is like a city without walls, unprotected, completely. And so how is it that I gain self-control? It's by letting the Word of God sink deeply into who I am and begin to transform me. And I appropriate what I've already received by my identity in Christ. I let it go deep into me. And I let it change me from the inside out just as we sang just a few minutes ago. So that I'm convinced, absolutely convinced of this, where God says to His people, know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keeps His commandments to a thousand generations. It's self-control. It's, it's being obedient. It's practically living out what I know that I'm supposed to do. And then finally, uh, our next, there's godliness. He says, add to your self-control, um, uh, sorry, steadfastness. Add to your self-control, steadfastness. This is patience and endurance. Along our trip, when we were driving across the country, there were times when you know, the sun kept coming up and the sun kept going down. It takes a long time to get to California. And when the sun would come up, we felt great, and the sun would go down, and everybody wanted to go to sleep. And we had driving to be done. But along the way, there were so many times where we were so miserable from being in the car, and, and, and things would, it would be a little too cold for this person in the car, a little too hot for this person in the car. The people that was too hard for were under blankets, <laughs> I'll leave that alone. You have kids, you understand. It was always something. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I need this. I need that. And there were so many times where we got to the point where we said, you know what? In my mind, I said, you know what? I'm ready to just turn around and head east rather than west. I wanted to quit. But we pressed on because there was a place that we were going. And so it is in our life. We sometimes want to quit. We sometimes want to walk away, but Peter says that we have to press on to add to our self-control steadfastness. One example we could see is in Hebrews 12, verse 2, says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And then to our steadfastness, Peter says to add godliness, that the character of Christ might be evident in our lives. 
one verse that, that I've been thinking on recently is Galatians 4.19, where Paul says, My little children, for whom I am in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. To continue until your character is that of Christ, to your character uh, looks like uh, Jesus to everybody that you encounter. One little boy said that we have to be Jesus with skin on, that we have to be, we have to be, understand that we are sometimes the only Jesus that people will see. So godliness, and then finally, a brotherly affection and love. Galatians 6.2 says to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And then Jesus said in John 13 that we're to love one another as he loved us. And then he said that the world will know that you're my disciples by the way that you love. And so putting it all together, Peter says, first of all, you need to know who you are. Don't be mistaken about your identity in Christ. Uh, Second of all, understand that, that it's not only about the destination, but it's also about the journey. There's a lot of life between coming to faith and going home to be with Him. It's about the journey. And then finally, the journey is best in community. The journey is best in community. We've been talking so much recently among our staff about how important it is for nobody to be alone for nobody to be isolated. Proverbs 18.1 says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own opinion, and he rages against all sound wisdom or sound counsel. He, he wants to be by himself. And it's a dangerous, incredibly dangerous place to be. So one young lady described how it is that she has been living in community with, uh, with other believers. And she says this, years have passed now, and we've been in in very close community. And now we can see God's work more clearly than we could on a week-by-week basis. One man who had some deep struggles and a lot of anger has grown through repenting of sin and being vulnerable one-on-one and in the group. He's been willing to hear the encouragement and challenges of others and to stay in community throughout his struggle. He's become an example in serving others, a better listener, more gentle with his wife. As a group, we have confronted anxiety, interpersonal strife, the need to forgive, lust, family, troubles, capital troubles, unbelief, the fear of man, hypocrisy, unemployment, sickness, lack of love, idolatry, marital strife. We have been helped, held, accountable, Lifted up by one another. We've also grieved together, celebrated together, laughed together, offended one another, reconciled with one another, put up with one another, and sought to love God and one another. It's in the context of community. The journey is best together. That's why Peter gives us the things that he gives us here. If we go back to the list, beginning with virtue, passing down to brotherly affection and love, we see that the first part of the list are things that that deal with with me as a person. But the last two are really external. Brotherly affection and love. So it calls us really to community. And so if we're going to 
dispel this gap, or if we're going to be mindful of the gap in our understanding of, of the gospel, we have to understand who we are in Jesus. Don't be mistaken about your identity. You have received all that you need to be who Jesus has called you to be. You just have to appropriate those things in your life. Don't forget that it's not just about the destination, but it's about the journey as well. And then we get to the the point that when we get all of these things in our life and operating and functioning in our life, and we're ever increasing in these, verse 8 tells us that if these qualities are yours and are increasing, then they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you see in the example of the small group how the one gentleman that she talked about went from one state of being, and he would probably describe his life as, as dry and parched. You saw all of the things that described his walk, marital strife, um, not listening, not being gentle, so on and so forth. But it was in the context of community, when they were endeavoring to live out these qualities that that Peter has described to us, they had a complete understanding of the gospel, that yes, they were saved because of their faith, and yes, they were going home one day to be with Jesus in heaven, but in the meantime, there was lots of work to be done in their hearts and in their lives and in their character, and in the context of community, they sought to live out these things that we're seeing described for us in in chapter 1 here, and so he says, Peter says, if these things are yours and increasing, then they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. However, verse 9, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So what's the point? The point is this. We have to be who we've been called to be. We've been called to be Jesus to the world. We've been called to take the gospel to the world. And if we're going to be effective and we're going to be fruitful, then we have to be growing in our personal lives and in our community with one another. That's why every day at 10.02, we pray for the harvest. And here we are at 10.02. And so we're going to pray for the harvest, and then I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to the message today. So let's pray. Will you join me in praying? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the fact that you've called us to be a church here in, in in this place, it's, it's your city. Um, everything belongs to you. And so we just want to pray this morning for the harvest, that you would raise up workers to go into the harvest, that we might be bold in our proclaiming and in our sharing and, and in our walk, that we would, we would be able to point people to um, a life that can be theirs in Jesus. And God, I pray for our hearts this morning that you would help us to respond. That we would, as your word says, not be hearers only, but be doers. That you would help us to to take a step today, to begin a journey, to to begin a walk, to, 
to embrace who it is that you've called us to be and to live that out. That we might go from this place not content just to be dry and unfruitful and ineffective, as your word says, but that we would have a desire to be fruitful and effective. And so I pray you'd help us in these last couple moments, and we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. And there are two things that I want to invite you to today. Number one, maybe you've never trusted Jesus to be your Savior. And so this faith that Peter describes, you would say, it's not mine yet. And so I, I want to call you to trust, to place your faith in Jesus. And as we begin to sing, all across the back, there are going to be folks wearing a lanyard that says, how can I help? And they're there to pray for you, pray with you, to help you understand how it is that you trust Jesus and begin a journey with Him. That's the first thing, to come to Christ, place your faith in Him. But the second is a call to believers. And if you're just at a place where you're sick and tired of being sick and tired and being defeated and wanting to quit, and wanting to give up, and feeling like a failure, and focusing on the need for this to change, and that to change, and that to change, and this to change, and the other thing to change. It may be that you just need to understand that Jesus has already changed what needs to be changed, and that's your heart. Now you just need to live out what it is that he has accomplished for you. And these folks are there for that as well. If you're a believer today and you'd say, hey, I, I want to repent of, of being mistaken about my identity. And I want to I repent of, of so focusing on the destination that I've forgotten that along the way, there's a lot of life to live. And there's a lot of people to point to Jesus. And there's a lot of places to take the gospel. And there's a lot of, of scripture that I need to let sink into my heart to transform me. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to respond. And so we're going to stand and sing. Go ahead and stand with us. And I want to just pray, Heavenly Father, help us to respond. Help us to obey you this morning. Help us to do what it is that you've called us to do. To come to you by faith. Either for salvation. Or as a believer to come and repent of being stagnant. And ineffective and unfruitful in our lives. So have your will and way in our hearts, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.